um, it's nice to be among family. That we do is around the idea of fellowship. And so I hope that today as we talk about discipleship and discipleship groups that, um, you know, my, my main goal today, I think, is just to help invite you into deeper fellowship with God and into deeper fellowship with one another. And I think within that, too, that helps us to get in, to know ourselves um, a lot as well. So thank you for this opportunity. And thank you to so many of you, you know, that have been with me during this process of like the crock pot of getting ready to speak. Um, this is a product of, you know, a lot of time in the word, but also a lot of time with you, you know, a lot of relationships, a lot of discipleship. So thank you for those who have walked alongside as for being here, but thank you that um, needed to get out of the way within my own heart before being here, but thank you also to those who, you know, allowed me to walk with you. Um, it's just a joy to be able to do this. Like, literally, this is, like, why we're here in Fishtown, is to engage in this spirit-led fellowship centered around the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in us, and that's why we're here. Um, and so it's a joy to be able to really dive into that today with you, um, and to just celebrate the truth of God's Word, and also um, just the amazing news that we have been saved by His permanent and complete um, grace that's removed all the walls. And so, of course, it's hard to live like that's the reality, but that is. Um, and so as we dive in, um, that's really what I want to just pitch is like, what does it look like for us to live in fellowship in the way that we are designed, um, that's in keeping with the way that the kingdom of God works? Um, and how to just do that in a way that is connected to him, not just in our own strength. So I want to dive right in um, to the text. And if you need a Bible, there's some Bibles over here. I'd gl be glad to give you one. Um, we have these Bibles, and they are available to you. So if anyone needs one, I'd love to give you one or have somebody grab one for you. Um, but we are going to be in Isaiah um, chapter 40 today. Chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. So I'm going to read this over us. Um, I love this idea. You know, I think Nerissa really is kind of pumping this into our, our lexicon. It was just like reading scripture over one another. Um, just truth. Like, here is truth for you because I love you, and this is true. So let's read this together. This is Isaiah 40. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough place is a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it, shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you for your presence here, uh, for the work that you are doing in our hearts. Thank you for your word and the power that's in it and the way that throughout entire, the entirety of history, you've been true to yourself, uh, you're consistent and you're caring. And I just pray that you would um, speak today. We acknowledge that your voice has power, your word has power. And I pray that everything uh, that we discuss today would just dive us deeper into fellowship with you. It's in your name that I pray, amen. So within this text, we are looking at um, 
Isaiah, hearing the word from the Lord. And Isaiah was this prophet that was uniquely called and equipped by God to speak the truth of the kingdom of God into like a really tough period of the history of God's people. Um, He was prophesying during this oncoming exile and into this exile um, where God's people were separated and displaced into um, bondage for 70 years. And, you know, I think in some ways they were already in bondage um, of their own accord just because of disobedience, because they were constantly just being like, you know, we know that God is God and he's on the throne and he's actively speaking into our lives, but really we just want to do our own thing and we want to be gods unto ourselves. So they're already in bondage, whether they realize it or acknowledged it or not. But Isaiah was, you know, prophesying that this is, you know, going to get ugly and there's going to be separation. You might already feel ruptured from God, but you're going to be like, you're going to be alone and it's going to be bad. But also within that captivity, there's going to be hope that there's oncoming comfort and the oncoming of the Lord, you know? So despite all of this, be comforted that soon all people would see the glory of God and a change in man's relationship with God as it was. We're barriers in freedom, uh, or we're barriers to freedom and fellowship would be restored and all of that would be removed so that people could really live in connection with God in the way that they were designed. Um, And all this prophecy was spoken into this darkness and disconnect. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, God was still speaking. And God is speaking today. You know, there might be bondage. There might be separation. I don't know what you're walking in with, um, but God is speaking today. Same God. So I want that to contextualize our time together as we realize the dynamic nature of the power of God working and accomplishing so much within us. Um, And also within that, the vitality of discipleship relationships, that the impact of those discipleship relationships reflects the power of God working within us and speaking into the wilderness of our own hearts and making a way for God with us, for Emmanuel. And not just God with us, like God over here and us over here, like he's here, but like God in us, Christ in you. Um, So that's something that we've been discussing. And uh, within our church, you know, this is the um, last, is this the last sermon of the base camp series? We do this base camp series at Bedrock to just kind of give you an idea of, you know, what are we about, but specifically how does this look in the context of um, here in Fishtown where we are serving? And so there's three main spheres that we um, are operating within, at least in an official setting. Um, and we talked about Sunday gatherings and corporate worship, and we've talked about missional communities, all these different places where we see God working and we intentionally say, we are going to do this together and we are going to live out our faith um, in fellowship with one another. Of course, these do not make up our, you know, the only places that we are living because we are called and, you know, equipped. And honestly, it just happens that we are always engaging in relationships all the time, all around us and discipling relationships while we do have like an official, you know, capacity where we're saying we are intentionally seeking out, like being together in groups. Um, This is something that's just made up into the everyday stuff of life. Like we are always at all times in the same way that God always is at all times in relationship. We're always seeking, we're always moving towards something or someone. But within DNA, within what we call our discipleship relationships, you know, that is the sphere where we really get into it, where we say, I genuinely want to 
be known to be seen as Andrew and Drew were talking about. And so my first point reflects, you know, this um, third space, but not just this third space. Again, I just want to stress that this is everything. Like discipleship literally is the substance of everything that we do because we're following Jesus. We are his disciples. Um, so I'm not just talking about like a recipe for how to do like these DNA groups well, but specifically how do we engage in discipleship and let that be a common denominator for us um, as people and as small groups, but also as families and as a church as a whole, as missional communities, letting discipleship be the central focus for us. And from there, everything being organized, mission, what it looks like to connect with other people, what it looks like for us to engage in Sunday morning, you know, what it looks like for us to be missional, to meet our neighbors. All of that is discipleship, but that's not natural for us. So the first point that I have is specifically that discipleship relationships transform our spiritual terrain. Um, And like I said, this is not something that naturally happens. Like discipleship is not the common common denominator of our lives naturally. It's the work of God in our lives that creates this foundation firmly within us. And honestly, that is literally a miracle. Like, if, if Christ is living in you, like, you can't, I can't look back in time and be like, oh yeah, that's where I did that, you know? I can look back and see all these different obstacles. I can look back and see all these ways that the world or my flesh or my family of origin or just like, the enemy or, you know, different things have just tried to thwart that. It's like, you know, you ever see those turtles when they hatch and they're trying to get to the water and they're like hundreds of them are trying to get there and there's these seagulls and it's like a thunderstorm and it's like bad news and they get to the water and they're like, I don't know how I got here, but I'm here. It's like, that's in some ways like kind of where we're at. Like it is a miracle. Your faith is a miracle. Um, and even if you haven't experienced that, I think that that's something that is pursuing you. Healing is pursuing you. Salvation is pursuing you. My mom calls it the hounds of heaven. She experienced, you know, she had a lot of life before she knew Christ. And there was also this long period where she was like, I feel like I'm being chased um, by salvation. I'm being chased by this God that wants a relationship with me. Um, And thankfully, uh, he got her. (laughs) So, and that's a lot of what I'm thankful for today as well. Um, So, like I said, this is not something that we just do. Um, Our default is to just conform to the patterns of the world and the standards of those around us. And unfortunately, like, this is true within the church as well. Um, Just because we say and do something that looks like or sounds like our best idea of, like, a moral or biblical life, um, if we're operating out of our flesh or motivated by less than something, then the power um, of Christ working in us, we're not following him. And it can become, honestly, like really dangerous to hold that belief that we're living in him and walking in him while just living like this Christianese version of life that may look good on paper, but in truth, we're being led and influenced by the world and our own flesh, our own motivations, and the enemy. It may look good, but it's different to have him working in you. So, and honestly, when we look at the dynamic movement of the Spirit of God throughout the arc of Scripture, um, the person of Christ, and also just this reality of the spiritual climate around us, it's clear that everything that God does is fellowship. 
I had somebody that I was working with. Um, for those of you that don't know me, um, I'm a therapist. I specialize in trauma, and all I do basically is just kind of work with people in the deep, dark stuff for extended periods of time. And I had somebody I was once working with, and they were experiencing like um, healing in terms of just like where they had had relationships that just destroyed them. Instead of building up, it was like every relationship in their life destroyed them. And within this time, out of nowhere, God showed up within their you know, experience of healing. And um, they just said to me, everything that he does is family. Everything he does is family. And I was like, man, it's so true. And this is someone who hadn't met him, you know, but they still know, they could still say, everything that he does is family. Everything that we are built for is relational. Um, and everything that he does is relational as well. And the greatest effect of the fall, the greatest effect of, you know, when we said, despite God walking with us, God creating this perfect world, this perfect fellowship, we're like, you know what? We're good. We want to try to do this on our own. We want to be gods to ourselves and try to create these, like, systems within ourselves that we can somehow, you know, create and heal and just live on our own based on our own desires. And of course, that didn't go well. But the greatest effect of that fall that has followed us throughout this entire time is that we experience relational rupture. And that caused us to be separated from the truth, to become predisposed. Then we're still relational, but we now are predisposed to seek relationship and spiritual renewal from a place of brokenness and shame, rather than from a place of wholeness and confidence in God's perfect love. It's natural for us to do all we can to create relationship with ourselves and to function relationally with ourselves and to strive to be power and holiness onto ourselves and pretend we're not alone. And also just like accumulate spiritual assets and like tricks. Like I have my backpack up here full of like the spiritual tricks that I've, you know, collected throughout my entire life that maybe look like a Christian life, but they're just, you know, things that I've picked up by being near Christ, but not in Christ. Big difference. Um, and we try to use these different things to preserve ourselves, to be successful in and of ourselves. Um, but when that's done through the lens of just like self and self-manufactured religion, we're just in survival mode. And we're operating out of fear and all the desires that we have that are founded in Christ are, honestly, we're just living in fear. We're not near him or we're not in him, we're just maybe near him. We acknowledge the idea. Like even that person I was working with, they acknowledged the truth of God, but they weren't in him. And there's not a single thing that can offset that separation fully outside of relationship and fellowship with Christ. Everything else that maybe seems like it does that only points to the truth. It's like, this is the way, yeah, this is good, but that was something that was created. This is a mechanism that was built within you because you are a seeker. You are a relationship person. I don't know how to say that in like orate language, but you are a relationship person that is designed for the Father and fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the same way that they have fellowship together within the Trinity. That's what we're designed for. Um, and when we're just operating within our own like spiritual um, self-proclaimed, self-manufactured deal, it's just like not it. It's just not the mood. Um, and honestly, like there are seasons of this for me. And I wanted to actually pull up a picture. The background here, we're talking about base camp. This is actually like the base camp. Um, a couple of years ago, I 
was very lucky to be in Nepal. I was doing some, you know, stuff with um, counseling, and I had some relatively well-off colleagues that were like, do you want to go to base camp on a helicopter? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been reading about Everest and base camp, and I love Everest. Hannah and I, like, wig out over Everest and just think it's, like, the craziest thing in the world that people spend $60,000 to go up there and then risk their life. And, I mean, I could talk about that forever, but that's not why we're here. But I went to base camp in a helicopter with two other people, and I was, it was just absolutely insane. And yeah, that's me at a place called Kala Patar, where we got out. It's a little bit above base camp, but we decided to go there. And that's Everest right there. And that's Lhotse, which are two like incredible mountains. And being near them was like, whoa, oh my gosh, this is nuts. This is nuts. I think we were only up there for like 45 seconds, but it was like the craziest 45 seconds of our life. And we were all freaking out. And on the way back, the pilot said, so who do you love more, me or the mountain? Because we were like, dude, we love you. You're awesome. Thank you for bringing us up here. He's like, who do you love more, me or the mountain? And in that moment, in the helicopter, God is just like, who do you love more, Tim? Who do you love more, me or the mountain? Who do you love? And in that, within that, it was, who do you love more? Like, do you love me? Or do you just love, like, the climb, the spiritual climb? Do you love the spiritual, like, personal climb that makes you look good, but it has nothing to do with me? I love you. Who do you love more? Do you love the Christian walk, or do you love me, the Christ? And in that moment, like, a lot changed. Um, it was a mountaintop experience, but what I realized was that I was, like, seeking out this, like, summit Whereas everything about him is just walking together. Everything about all that he did throughout the entire arc of scripture was so that we can walk together and enjoy life together and do that in the context of everything that we do. So within that, not only was there that question, but he also spoke into life and said, make room. I love this, the song, make room, because that's literally what he said like on the way back. He was like, make room for me. Make room for what I can do around you. Make room for what my spirit can do. Make room for more Jesus, more Jesus. And that became a mantra for Hannah and I, more Jesus, whatever it looks like. We just want more of that. Um, and of course, at that time, like there was spiritual stuff going on, but it was kind of like, you know, right action, right like stuff, like right substance, but wrong assignment, wrong deal. It's like if somebody, I think Jeremy shared this a long time ago in Bedrock Lynchburg when we were there, like you ever submit the wrong assignment in like Blackboard or whatever online platform, and it's like you get this feedback, it's like, this looks great, you know, but that is not what I asked for. And we realized like a lot of our life was being lived kind of like that. Um, so within that, God began to make it clear what does it look like to kind of step out of this individualistic Christian capitalist faith and begin to live in the way that he designed us in fellowship. So first he said, live in the context of community. Live out your faith in the context of community. And that was very different. Um, and honestly, within that became... Um, it became important to open up and start living, you know, in a way where people could actually see me and not just see my output, but to see me. Um, there's this verse in Proverbs, I forgot to grab the reference, but it says, who can say in his own heart, I have made my heart pure. I am cleansed from my sin. Like we can't do that on our own. And so God called us into um, community, not just like doing things together that looks like you know, faith in church, but into true communal faith. 
We are never, there's no such thing as an individualistic faith. We are connected, and your faith is connected to the entire story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration within the entirety of Scripture. You mean a lot to the kingdom. You mean a lot to the kingdom. And you're not meant to live in a cave. Um, or just like on the stage where everybody can see you, but nobody can know you. Secondly, he called us to walk and live by the power of the Holy Spirit and live in faith and community, but also engage um, specifically based on the power of the Spirit. And without the Spirit guiding us and leading us, guys, we're just gratifying the desires of our flesh. And this will also be seen in our Christian living. Again, going back, like you can, it can look good on paper, but if it's your flesh, like that's not a relationship with God. We're always walking and living by the word and power of someone or something. And as believers, we are called to rest and called to peace as his spirit powerfully works within us. And as he regulates us and sustains us and communes with us. Walking and living by the power of the word and the spirit is what allows us to truly see the reality of God's kingdom and to then let go of all other alternative forms of energy um, which have severe limits and pass away. It's like the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, which I don't have a lot of memories of my childhood because my memory is trash, except for like sometimes I remember like some theme song from a TV show or something like that. But I do remember my mom and dad regularly singing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus to me before going to sleep. And that's built in my DNA. It's like on a cellular level that song hits because of the way that they discipled me in that way. Um, and that's why I like the term DNA, because it's like not just dis discover, nurture, act, but like this is what it looks like to allow your faith and allow the work and the power of Jesus Christ to, to just be in you on a cellular level, to be you, you know? Um, and that comes by living by the word and the power of the spirit. And then lastly, to engage in discipleship relationships. Um, God called to make room for more of him, and we began to assess the natural barriers that were in place to that. And within that, we realized that discipleship is the removal of those barriers. It's living and walking and allowing our, our spiritual terrain to be transformed because Christ is here and he's coming and make way for him. And so that was something that we began to seek out. Where can we be discipled? Where can we disciple? Where can we position ourselves intentionally that a byproduct of that will be that God transforms us and makes the way clear between us and him. And that's what we want to see happen within our DNA groups. Um, again, I'm not talking about a structure as much, but we honestly didn't know like a lot of what was on the menu for Christian fellowship and fellowship with Christ, because we had grown up only with certain things. There was not a lot of discipleship where people were like, listen, this is what it looks like to walk deeply in fellowship with Jesus. And so it was like Jesus opened up this whole hidden menu where it's like, we can, you, we can have all of these things. Like you ever read those like BuzzFeed lists of all these things that you can order at different places? Um, and it's like, oh man, I didn't know that I could order like that weird dish at Starbucks or whatever. It's like, I didn't know that Starbucks made cereal or something like that. But anyway, like there's all of this that's available to us that we don't know to look for or even ask for. Um, and discipleship is where we learn that. That's where we engage and actually have these things. And it's not just a bunch of action or discipleship isn't just this thing that happens after salvation that we do for other people. It's for you. It's for us. And yeah, we are called to make disciples. And the Great Commission says, you know, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and, 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I think oftentimes the um, church kind of empties that of its power because it just sounds like something that we're, we have to just like go do, again, like in our own strength. But all of this is a miracle or is an overflow of a miracle within you. That commission to make disciples is so much more vibrant, so much more dynamic and joyful than that box that we put in like a checkbox when we look at it through the lens of our actions. It's not this weighty responsibility on our shoulders. It's deeper than also the physical act of us like going somewhere or moving somewhere or leading other people to faith and salvation is yours. And the Great Commission has been empty of its power and joy by the church because it's been considered through the lens of human effort and obedient action. Like it's like, I do this and then God blesses me. Like there's some like spiritual button to push and then we're okay. That's not how the kingdom works. When we look at this call to discipleship through the lens that all authority in the entire world and everywhere has been given to Jesus, and that because of that, we, as his body, him embodied in us, engage in discipleship everywhere we go, things begin to change. Wherever he leads us, we are forsaking our old self and that had been lived by that old code, and we speak life and we speak truth into one another, into those who believe and also those who don't. And we experience life and fellowship you know, there's so much that I receive from walking with people that have different faith than me or walking with people that, you know, are not actively following Jesus. There's still so much that God teaches me throughout these times. Like, this is literally in every element of our lives. I just want to continue to stress that. So, let's return to our passage. It says in verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Um, so talk about this menu. You know, what's on the menu? What does it actually look like to engage in transforming our spiritual terrain um, within these discipleship relationships? I'm going to quickly go through a couple things. First is that we get to know and love the Word of God. Like we, within my discipleship group, we have actively like seen where there's like some limits and how like well we could take in the word of God, how we were positioning ourselves with the word of God. And so we got some training and now, you know, we're learning to love and experience the word of God and to really soak it in rather than just like be near it. It's like beginning to go in us. And that's a process that happens within the context of our discipleship. Um, we're discovering him and allowing his word to live and act through us as we study together. Um, and we also within this are getting to the root. We don't just like shave a little bit off the top of the mountain like we go down to the root because he wants to go down there. And honestly, Christ has done everything possible to make it safe to go down to the root where we can really deal with like those deep sin issues together. And then also like it takes some deep like rewiring to live out that new covenant marked by God's voice crying in the wilderness that I'm here. The kingdom of heaven is here. And those codes and those laws that we once lived by that like we were using to ensure fellowship they are all removed by the power of the cross. And so we're still like engaging in somewhat like of a rewiring process where we actually acknowledge that there is nothing between us and him. Like it says in Hebrews 8, 10 through 12, which I forgot to write down. It says, this is Christ, this is Jesus talking for this 
is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other one his neighbor, each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the greatest to the least, and I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is the reality of things now because of what he's done. There's no need for an intermediary. Um, you know, back in the Old Testament, the closest that even the priests could get to the Holy of Holies was 90 feet. Um, that idea of like proximity to God, that was just like how it was, but that's just not how it is anymore. Um, and that being said, we dive right in. We don't play around with sin issues and, and say like, oh, you know, I have to clean this up before I go to Christ. We go right to him together and we learn how to do that and we practice that and that is not easy. It doesn't have to be easy, but it's good. So second of all, I think I've touched on some of this already, but I want you to understand that the discipleship relationships invoke the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God in us and around us. This is bigger than just like you. It's not like about your self-betterment. It's not about your, you know, becoming um, like a better Christian or anything like that. Like your agreeing to be intentional in discipling and being discipled changes the spiritual terrain around you. It's not just your personal spiritual terrain. It's the kingdom. In the entirety of the Gospel of Matthew, switching out now from the Old Testament to the New Testament, um, in Matthew is about this idea of the kingdom of God and Jesus as king. Um, His words from start to finish point to the oncoming kingdom and the end of the rule and reign of the world and the flesh and the devil, including the rule and the reign of that human-made religion and different external forms of um, fellowship that we've, I guess, subscribed to, ascribed to. So I want to read Matthew 3, 1 through 6, because this passage in Isaiah is about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is kind of the first one that comes on the scene in the wilderness and is actually fulfilling this prophecy from when the um, people of God were in captivity. So it says, Matthew 3, 1 through 6, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptizing him by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So we see the physical fulfillment of this prophecy within Isaiah in John the Baptist as he came on the scene specifically pointing to the oncoming king. And everything that he did, just in the same way that Christ, everything that he does is fellowship, like everything that John did, every single element of like who he was, was um, uniquely um, positioned and equipped and like everything about him exuded the oncoming kingdom, even down to the locusts and the wild honey. And like, I was reading about this, that the locusts were the sign of like the invasion of the captivity and the wild honey is the sweetness that was coming. And within that, I realized another, you know, memory of my past came up that I um, used to read that. And I was like, huh, 
Locusts and wild honey. I wonder what that tastes like. So, I've got some locusts, and I've got some wild honey. Well, it's not wild honey, it's from Aldi, but I don't know what it does in its spare time. And so, we're gonna try this right now. And if anybody would like to try, let's get that out of the way. I'm shaking right now. Some locusts and wild honey, you're welcome. I will put it down there and you can probably try this after. I don't know how COVID conscious this is, but we are going for it right now. And this is just a reminder of the kingdom. Look at me shaking. This is just a reminder of the reality of God's kingdom. Okay. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So from start to finish, the ministry of John the Baptist points to the kingdom. And everybody was seeking this. Like everyone was going out to him, even the Pharisees. And in the same way that we have this relational mechanism within us, there's also this seeking mechanism within us that beckons us towards fellowship, towards truth, towards connection. Like what Andrew was saying, like everybody's just got this desire to be known. But oftentimes like pride or fear acts as a protector, but it's actually a prison that keeps us away from fellowship. But we all have this like internal seeking mechanisms. And even the Pharisees had that. The Pharisees were like the religious elite of that time. And everything that they did was about the spiritual image. How do I look good? And what do I do to ensure that I have made my heart pure? And John called them out hard when they came down to the water. So in Matthew 3, 7 through 12, it says, but when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And here he again just affirms, why am I here? I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals, I'm not worried that Garrett, <clears throat> I have some crick in me, whose sandals I'm not worried to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. John called them out. It's not your works, it's not your cleanliness or your status that will provide you salvation or safe fellowship with God. The way that the kingdom works is that God speaks, God shows up, and then God saves and fills those who are brought from death to life like stones turned into children. That's what we are. We were like stones, like we were dead, nothing. And he turned us into children. And that's an... <clears throat> wow. It's not that it's bad. It's just really crunchy. It's like a bad potato chip, you know? Um, this is what discipleship is about. Part of invoking the kingdom is letting go of this pharisaical life and just submitting to the fact that we are children. Um, this is something that stood out. Um, also, and like as Jesus came on the scene, he also like confirmed John's calling and what John did. 
and he asked the people, I'm going to just kind of paraphrase this. This is in chapter 11, um, verses 7 through 10, where he basically asked them, like, what did you go out here to see? Like, were you looking for just a spectacle? Were you looking for, like, somebody who was, like, dressed in fine clothes? Or were you looking for a prophet? And he just said, like, everything that John was about was me, and I'm here. I am here. And within that, then, in chapter 11, verse 25 through 30, he declared, and I just want to read this because this is so, such like the heart of what discipleship is about. Jesus declared at that time, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he says, come to me, all you who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Such a huge part of our discipleship is allowing him to be him. And we joyfully forsake all other roles or other ways that we take Christ's place. We learn within this, like DNA is not like, hey, I'm going to talk to you and confess to you, and then you're going to like baptize me. It's like everything that we do as members of a discipleship group is we just point one another to Jesus. We help one another to know and just like practice what it looks like to just be a son. We don't play this role of advocate. We don't become this like codependent person where we just like know each other's stories and then we just like protect one another's weaknesses. We bring those weaknesses to the throne of God. We don't mess around and we talk about it. We don't just like pretend because that's what it looks like to have a safe father and to be children. I learned this too, like I'm still being dewired from this. Um, I had a session recently with, I was able to work with someone who loves Jesus and they experienced a lot of healing and it was cool to watch God just like remove barriers to fellowship in their life. And when we got done, oftentimes like when we get done with these times, people, you know, it's hard to know what to do because they're like, what just happened? And they looked at me and I was kind of expecting them to be like, oh yeah, you're an incredible therapist or um, that was the best thing I've ever experienced or whatever. And you know what she said to me? She looked me straight in the eye and she just said, you are such a son. You're such a son. And nobody's ever, you know, clarified who I actually am better. Instead of like this output, just a son. That's all we are. We're just sons and daughters. And honestly, within the role of, like within discipleship, that's what we're doing. We are deconstructing. A lot of, you know, people have been throwing around this term deconstruction for a lot of time. It's like, you know, how am I going to, you know, kind of change how I function as a believer or like, how do I work through all the different spiritual stuff that I've had in my life? I'm going to deconstruct. And then unfortunately, a lot of people then step away from the church and try to figure things out and like think their way through things. And like, honestly, if you are deconstructing your life outside of fellowship or outside of God and like say, I'm going to figure this out and then I'm going to return, like you will end up without him. I promise. Deconstruction is discipleship or discipleship creates deconstruction because it deconstructs our spiritual strongholds. It invokes the kingdom within our lives. It deconstructs patterns of like survival mode and isolation. It deconstructs old forms of like Christian relationships 
and different things that just have not served us well or that old like pharisaical workspace religion it is renouncing of these things. And it also is like, again, deconstructing this idea that we are doing something for God or there's like some button that we push to dispense like the good spiritual feels from God. He's not, he's not this like distant parent that doesn't know how to take care of us. He's God. He's the one that is regulating us. We are not co-regulating him. Don't mistake that. There's nothing that we do for him that like makes him happy and then he does things for us. That's just not how it is. And it takes a lot of deconstruction. If that's how you grew up, like it takes some discipleship to begin to trust him that that's actually how he is and to allow yourself to be regulated by him and to be known and to say like somehow when I bring my full self, when he sees me in my, at my worst, he loves me. We are built to be known and loved. And my last point is that discipling relationships equip us for spirit-filled fellowship with God and others. They restore and equip us because that's not something that we like are naturally doing because there's just so many barriers. But when we experience um, right relationship with him, it restores us. It restores our template for what relationship is supposed to look like. And, you know, last time I preached, I preached specifically on trauma-focused discipleship and this idea that, we have to be removing, you know, barriers, but discipleship is really like the ministry of reconciliation where we are calling one another to be reconciled to God, to come together and to say, where are there barriers? Prepare the way for the Lord because he's good and he's safe and he's real and you, he wants relationship with you. And so that is what discipleship looks like. We, if there's been things in our lives or ways that, you know, just bad stuff that has happened that has made ruptured, like relationship ruptured, then we have to like look at that and deal with that. And I do want to say on on a side note that, you know, a lot of that can be done within like a discipleship or a DNA setting, but sometimes your people, when they love you and care about you and see what you got going on, they can point you towards spiritual direction or they'll point you towards counseling. Or if there's trauma that's just like causing you to go into survival mode and there's patterns that just continue, it's like, you know, it's like, this is how it be every time. You know, that's when I like recommend you to not just like engage in discipleship, but like pursue wise counsel. I generally say that good counseling is like discipleship, just at like a deeper professional level. Um, I love discipling within my work. And God really disciples me in my work, let me tell you. Um, so yeah, we are working through these things together. We're changing our relational template, patterns of relationship in our lives directly correlate with how we function as sons and daughters of life. We just like project that stuff. So we have to work to be relationally healed so that we can truly experience relationship with God. And God, by his spirit, calls us into that. So if God, if there's like barriers there, like allow his spirit to reveal that and then to call you into relational healing. If that's something you want to talk more about, that's something I'd love to talk to you about. I'm not the only one that can have that conversation with you. Uh, but there's a lot of really good ways to do that within discipleship relationships and outside here. We are equipped as a church with resources to, you know, prioritize that. So let that be maybe a start of a conversation with me. So, yeah, we're supposed to be in relationship and being known and being loved. But not everyone is going to feel safe being known and loved. I know there's even parts of me still sometimes that I get nervous when the Spirit clearly leads towards being known and loved in certain ways. This happened this week or last week in my DNA group. God just was like, 
as part of this preparation process and is like, I'm calling you to be known and loved in a specific way. And I was like, oh no, I am so not into that. And I talked to Hannah about it. And she's like, you don't have a choice. And it's true. It's like God revealed where and what, where there was a relationship that he wanted to have with me. And it led to specific actions. And it was scary. And honestly, I didn't like it. But since then, he is working and he is just allowing spiritual terrain in and around me to change in ways that I just didn't know were on the menu, honestly. So this is a real-time thing. And nobody is like, nobody's like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exempt from this. Nobody's exempt from this. If you think that you are, then there's a a barrier in your life. Um, And also this is something that like, this is not just like a thing that we do to get better or to reach a summit. This is a daily life rhythm. We do this rhythmically together because that is what we need. When we are like changing our relational template, or if you have a little baby, like you're doing rhythmic stuff all the time. Like everything you do is fellowship and building this fellowship with this little kid to help them know that they are loved and that they are known. Otherwise, like there's going to be some barriers later on. Um, That's another topic for another time. But that being said, there's nothing like... There's no choppiness within healthy discipleship. You don't wait to the last minute to talk about a crisis, you know, until things have like blown over. And then honestly, at that point, if you're at that point and you haven't been seeking discipleship or you haven't been seeking fellowship with where people know you and love you, like you're going to be disappointed if you're expecting that it's going to like be easy and it's going to go well and people are going to actually like know what to do. Within this relation, these relationships, we live rhythmically so that we can like be equipped and prepared to point one another to Christ. But we don't do this on an emergency basis. That would be like me holding everything in up until like the minute I was like going to explode and then exploding and creating, like basically becoming a liability to those around me. And that's not discipleship. That's not what we're called to. We are called to be connected. And honestly, you might say to me, Tim, this all sounds good, or this sounds like an ideal situation, but I've been hurt or I don't know what this looks like for me, or I don't know if I could do this in an official capacity. Um, but whatever's going on in your heart and life, um, you got to come out of the wilderness. You got to listen to where the Holy Spirit is like showing you where there's barriers. And if you're in hiding, you know, I love the first question that Jesus or that God asked Adam and Eve, after they sin and after they eat the fruit, he doesn't say, what'd you do? He says, where are you? And that's what discipleship relationships are. It's, it's folks in your life that intentionally say, I'm going to ask you regularly, where are you? And then I'm going to point you to Jesus. That's it. This is easy and light. And where there's barriers, the spirit reveals it. And then he teaches us how to regulate and to be his children. So I hope that like this has been a good like start starting point for conversation today. If you want to talk more about discipleship, like discipleship is literally my favorite thing in the world. And so you would be a blessing to me to come and discuss that with me um, or with others. There's specific people that I that I trust within this room that that want to have that conversation. And we're here. This is, you know, we are messy, but we are loved. And so, again, if I was going to boil all this down, just know that Jesus loves your heart.
that you're called to come out of the wilderness and that where there are barriers to fellowship in your life, he wants to break those so he can connect with you and be with you. And we want to be with you too. So I don't know how the world, the, um, the Lord is working in your heart as we read these passages. Um, I hope that you experience his comfort today. I hope that you experience um, that call into relationship, that sense of safety, that it actually is safe and okay to move closer to Jesus. It is actually your design, in your design, to not just be near him and closer to him through your human effort, but to truly be in him in the way that reflects who you actually are in terms of how much you are worth, how much you matter, and how much he loves you. So as the band comes back up and we close out our morning today, I want to just invite you into three things. Just First of all, I just want to invite you into fellowship where there might be barriers to fellowship in your life. I hope and pray that God just reveals as we finish up our morning just what it looks like to just start the conversation not just to acknowledge barriers. In our discipleship groups, we can like acknowledge the barriers and be like, yeah, that's a problem. And then we protect each other from actually dealing with it because we're like, we have the brakes on and we don't want to either be seen ourselves or we, you know, just like say, that's something that we'll hold you accountable to instead of saying, let's go to Jesus now. Let's go to have fellowship with him now. And so I don't know what's coming up in your heart and mind, but I invite you, I want to point you straight to him. And I want to pray with you if there's something that's coming up. Also, just invite you to discipleship. If you are not being discipled right now, I want to invite you into that. I want you to invite you to just start taking those steps towards other people. And think about this in that most simple way that discipleship is not just like this official setting that you have to do all the time, although we find that that's an overflow of that is that we find ourselves doing this regularly. But this is in the everyday stuff, discipleship. And lastly, I just want to invite you to worship where God has miraculously healed you, where God has miraculously saved you, or has even brought you here. I just want to invite you to thank him today and to acknowledge that he's worthy, that he is the only one that can truly do these things for us. If you've been living in um, kind of the self-manufactured spirituality mode, I want to call you out of that and let you know that it is safe to be with him and to let him start regulating everything. It really is. So let's pray together. Father, we trust you. We feel the, um, just the, there's such like a contrast between, you know, how our hearts seek, you know, you and seek connection and, and relationship and fellowship and to be loved and known and also just like the fear and the pride and the, the hurt that makes it seem like that's not safe. But we, Lord, we acknowledge that you're safe, that you're good. And so I just pray that you would continue to just um, allow your word to, to be implanted deep in our hearts as we uh, just look to you to give us clarity on what comes next. And not just what should we do, but who are you and where are we? So I pray that you would bless my friends, that you would speak into their lives, that you would protect them, and that your fellowship with them would be what protects them. Whatever other mechanisms by which we protect ourselves, may they fall by the wayside in the name of Jesus. We honor you, Lord.
In Jesus' name, amen.